0: Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Guest on the podcast today, uh, we're going to be talking to Nikki piersky I worked with her in the research section of the Ibotta business, um, being a PM, and, and on, she was on the research team. So, is it customer research? Is it user yeah, research? Like, yeah. what? How do you define your role?
1: Yeah, and I think so many companies. It's such <laughs> such a great question just to start off with because so many <laughs> companies have research functions these days, and every company, you know, treats it a little differently, calls it something a little bit different, but. Um, My background is I have have 10 years of experience in customer research, uh, most of it in what we would call user experience research, so UX research, and a little bit in market research. And uh, so currently, I manage a UX research team at a large software company that uh, makes sort of software for architectural engineering construction type firms. but. Spent some time in uh, working in startups with you and other folks and uh, really, really loved how much value research really brings to companies like that and how much value it can bring to the product development process overall. So I'm, I'm excited to talk today. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so all of that to say, <clears throat> I am in UX research. Uh, I, I've managed teams and I'm managing a team currently and always... Uh, really excited to collaborate with with product folks and talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about how you can think about it as a tool today and how, you know, if you're doing some of it, in your own work, how you can think about it.
0: Let's talk about the function a little bit. Like where does it sit within an organization typically? Like I've seen this be a part of maybe product operations, which then rolls up into product, but then I've also seen it run into analytics. Like where traditionally do you see UX research and this type of work sit within an organization?
1: Yeah, I think traditionally, when it, it first became formalized as a, as a function within companies, one of its first natural homes was in UX design um, because it if you think if we take a step back and think about what UX research is it's another tool for getting at your customers' behaviors preferences motivations pain points much like market research, much like data analytics but it grew out of this need for support during design cycles and it grew out of this rising uh, focus on design thinking, user centricity. And so its first natural home really was in UX design departments. Now it started to proliferate out and and I've seen it live within, right? Analytics departments. Mm -hmm. I've seen it live within product organizations. I've seen it still live under design. I've seen it live as its own centralized function, Um, So it kind of runs the gamut. And I think if you are at a company that doesn't yet have the function, it's a process of the company going, okay, this is a tool that that has a lot of power to help us explain why our customers do what they do, why they think what they do, where is its natural home within our organization. Yeah. And how how would
0: you think or how would you um, suggest that companies that are maybe new to this area and how it could provide value to an organization. How would you suggest pitching this as like a function and to go higher, right? Like how how would you say like yes, this is important because it helps with this, right? Like how would you best say that?
1: When I think about the value of UX research as I as I mentioned, it's it's another tool in your toolkit for your product org that helps you deeply understand your customers and speak their language and solve their problems. There are side benefits that maybe your leadership team doesn't care as deeply about, but I think are really exciting. (laughs) Like It helps folks who normally don't get in front of customers more deeply empathize and understand your customers. right? right? It connects Mm -hmm. you to their day-to-day life and, and how you can really make their lives easier. But thinking about how you would pitch that to leadership, I often go back to thinking about user research in any of its forms as a tool to reduce risk. Mm-hmm. Throughout that product, product development process that, that you're going through, whether it's for a new product or it's an improvement to something already out there, you're reducing your risk along the way that you're launching the right the, the wrong thing, mm-hmm. or something that's designed the wrong way. Right. And customer research, user research, whatever you want to call it, it's a really powerful tool amongst many tools and many inputs you're going to have into your process. To help you build your confidence throughout the product development process that you've got the right thing, it's solving the right problem, and it's designed the right way for your customers. And so that's the way I often talk to leadership about it is it's, it's another tool that helps us reduce our risk. But the reason it adds its own value is that it's really good at unpacking the question, why? Mm. Why is this a problem we should solve in the first place? Will it add value to our customers' lives, our customers' workflows, if we solve this problem? Why do they want it to look a certain way that they do? Why do they you know, want it to, to act certain ways or have certain functionality? You can't always get that by looking at uh, data analytics of what your customers are already doing. You can't always get that from reading a trend report or looking at the, a competitive analysis or even you know, going out and doing a market research survey. Mm-hmm. So it's another tool in your toolkit to build your confidence Throughout yeah. your process, that you've got the you're solving the right problem, you've got the right thing, and it's designed in the right way.
0: Love that. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think every product manager can appreciate that um, that intent and and be able to pitch you know or or communicate the value in that way. So I, I appreciate you yeah, going into detail there to to um, bring this a little bit more tactically. So we understand the function, we understand where it sits and what it does. Um, let, let's use an example and kind of walk our audience through um, maybe a past experience that you've had with this to see how, tang- you know, tactically this gets put into place. And maybe what we can start is, you know, I, I think a common chronic problem is retention. And so when when customers are maybe maybe a business is, has been running for a while and they're they're seeing customer retention issues and they don't know where to start. There, there's uh, um, quantitative data that they're looking at. They're they're seeing this right, um, but there's so many other inputs to how to tackle that as a part of a strategy. And how does customer? How would customer research fall into an issue like that to then help aid in, um, you know, assessing the why to go
1: um, tackle this? So you spoke a little bit about this last week and we're kind of talking about inputs and and you know that as a as a potential example of how you might think about this when when companies don't already have a researcher in house or maybe they've got a contractor i see often product managers and designers using the same tools and methods a researcher would but but doing it on their own because they see a problem like this right hmm. so you can go and with the expertise you've already got as a product manager, and do a fairly good job digging into why that's happening, right? Because that's your big question. Why is this happening? I can see that it's happening from the numbers. Maybe I have a sense of some market forces of what's going on in the industry that might be impacting this. but that, that's kind of all I've got, right? What I would say to somebody like that who's going in and, and doing it like that on their own is that user research isn't rocket science. It's not brain surgery. You, We can give you the tools, Right. The, the only difference is, is that someone like myself prac- practices those skills and tools every day versus you see a one-off problem, you need to go investigate, and now it's time to pick up your customer research skills and, and go take a look. There's a research process that researchers follow. It's got sort of similar steps, no, ma- no matter where you are, no matter who you are, but much like the way you you would use data analytics, the kinds of questions you're going to ask and the kinds of, of techniques you're going to use are going to depend on that question you're trying to answer and your business goals. Mm. So if you're, let's just, just to walk away from the example for a second, if you're launching a new product, you might ask different questions of your analytics and your tracking than if you're in the situation you just mentioned, which is, mm, right. I'm seeing some... Some retention issues.
0: Right.
1: Same function, same same set of tools you can go to, but just different techniques, different questions you're answering. Right. It's the same thing with customer research. It's going to be the same research process. You're just going to ask different questions and maybe use different techniques to uncover the answer. Mm. So at its core, and, and I'm guessing a, you know, you do this today or your listeners do this today, is you're going to define what questions you want to answer and what the scope of that investigation is going to be. Even if you're just doing it on paper in front of your computer or you're collaborating with a few colleagues, you're going to scope why do we need to answer this question? Is it, is it even a question worth answering right now? What are sort of the sub-questions we need to dig into? Why are they dropping off in certain places? Or we're seeing you know certain segments drop off more than others. What do we need to show leadership at the end of this investigation? And then one step that teams often skip, but they've all got it in their heads is they don't collectively come together and say, these are our hypotheses or just assumptions we're operating with. And all of that is just sitting in their heads. And sometimes it gets baked into this investigation they're about to go do. So what I often say to teams doing their own research is come together as a team, together or asynchronously and map your assumptions. It's a really powerful tool to just get it all out on paper, especially if you can pull one or two of your stakeholders into the room, because they also have some ideas about why you're seeing retention issues. Mm -hmm. They just may not have told you yet. You don't want us to be surprised by them after you go and do the user research or the customer research. So so So, step
0: one, at this point, you, you identify you know, maybe this is a, is a uh, company initiative, or maybe you identify an issue with retention. And then at that point, well, what are our hypotheses? What do we believe is causing this retention issue? And then, you know, kicking that off essentially with a cross-functional leadership team that can, you know, put input into the hat, into the shared pool of meaning, and then we can kind of focus in on uh, these core uh, tenets of the hypothesis.
1: Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be as robust as, as, you know, making it a formal initiative, although you might want to if its re- retention is what you're looking at. But even if it's just you, who's going to be doing this digging, laying out on paper for yourself, why you looked into this, what are you going to answer? And, and what are some of the assumptions you've heard, you know, running around the team or the company are going to be really helpful when, when you have some answers. Cause often when we start to find answers, the reaction is that's great. Here's my follow up question: Why didn't you go look into that? Or that's great, but did you think about it from this way? So, I would recommend even if it's just you yourself doing this, just put some rough documentation together, even just for yourself, to remember why you did this and what what the boundaries of the research were going to be.
0: Okay when you when you get to the hypothesis, we kind of we lay these out, um, you know, either individual with a team, what have you write it down on paper. Now we have these hypotheses. We believe that X, Y, Z is causing churn. Let's, let's just throw uh, one out there that our you know, our billing um, journey, you know, our function is, is, is causing people, you know, frustration and churning because they can't um, you know, uh, they, they don't have a line of sight into what they're getting charged for. So that's an assumption that we have that uh, is an hypothesis around, you know, this churn or this retention issue. So wh- where do we go from there once we get yeah. these hypotheses out?
1: If you've got a little time, what I would suggest doing is mapping those assumptions, all those things you think might be true or maybe aren't sure if they're true. I would map them out for yourself. Which ones feel like they pose a greater risk if you don't answer them right now? Which ones pose less of a risk if they're true? Which ones are really easy to go validate which ones are more difficult to validate. So you can make your, you know, make yourself an Excel spreadsheet or a little two-by-two chart because customer research is just one tool in your toolkit. Some of those assumptions, you might actually want to go back to your analytics for or go back to market research or say, maybe sales knows something. If you're in a B2B situation, your customer success organization or your sales organization is going to have data as well. So that will help you prioritize which questions you want to answer with user research. And which ones need to be answered right now and maybe which ones can wait a little while. Because I see I see team
0: urgency is kind of like yeah,
1: because I see teams make this mistake where they assume they, you know, they operate as if they only have one shot to talk to their customers. And so they try Mm -hmm. to throw the whole kitchen sink in. But Mm -hmm. if you're seeing retention, chances are there's a couple of factors that are driving that. There's probably not just one, you know, issue that's that's driving that pattern. Right. What can you use user research to answer and where, where are you going to pull in other functions and other expertise to help you triangulate and build that narrative around what's happening? Mm-hmm. So that, that all is sort of part of scoping and defining your, your research study or your research project. The next couple of parts, which is what everybody thinks about is I'm going to plan it. I'm going to figure out who to talk to, and I'm going to go talk to some customers or run some sessions or run a survey. Those actually are the most straightforward parts of the process because there are tons of best practices and resources in books, on the internet available to help you quickly ramp up and run some research. But the best research comes with some critical thinking on your part. So when you're planning it, that would be kind of the next phase. Who are you going to talk to and how are you going to get a hold of them? Do you have email lists of customers you can contact? Do you need to talk to non-customers? How do you source those folks? This is where coming up with that plan comes into play. Are you going to do some usability testing or do you need to sit down and interview customers or watch them in their their natural environment? And then you need to kind of go through some steps where you decide who's actually going to be in charge of conducting this research. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get my team involved without overwhelming our customers? Mm -hmm. All those little things kind of go into the, the planning phase. So a couple, a couple of just best practices there is that, again, especially if you're working with your team and it's not just you doing this solo, writing down the protocol for whatever kind of research you're going to run, right? If, even if it's you're throwing some stuff up on user testing or user mm. Zoom, what tasks did you ask your customers to walk through? What did you ask them to look at? Who did you decide to talk to? Again, so six months down the line, we can contextualize what you learned and understand exactly what we set out to achieve. It also helps when you get your team involved and I would highly recommend having having your team involved especially if you're going to sit down and interview your customers. It's hard to have a conversation and take notes and and think about all the things going on in your product all at the same time. You want to really focus mm. on that customer and have a have a conversation with them, right?
0: Where's the balance of, you know, note taking and then like recording a zoom and then like reflecting, like, I, I I would imagine nowadays it's much easier to record these sessions than it has been in the past. Like, is that, do you use that as a tool?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think whether it's recording on zoom or using a tool, like, like, uh, You know, all of these different user interviews, user Zoom, user testing, they all have recording functionality. Mm -hmm. And I'm now realizing we could we could dedicate a whole series of episodes (laughs) just just to doing research because yeah, you want you want to make sure you, you know, there's there's all sorts of best practices that you could could try to go after here. The big one is you do probably want to record or have a note taker Mm. because human memory gets faulty really fast yeah there are these great mm-hmm. studies out there that show you know lots of people have a hard time remembering which day of the week last week they did a certain task um, huge, huge kind of small slides going on in our memory pr- pretty immediately. so I would highly recommend if you're going to do live sessions with any of your customers ever, have a note taker on record the session, get their permission to record you know, this yeah, is right. this is this is really important, and being able to Again, there are great templates available out on the internet, um, you know, for free that you can grab. But a lot of what we do is as researchers is borrowed from other disciplines, academic disciplines, market mm. research design. We make our customers feel comfortable first, right? Hey, this is my right. name. Here's what I want to ask you about today. I want to hear a little bit about you, and then I want to hear a little bit about you using, you know, our product. Mm-hmm. And then and then you ask them if you can record. And there are some some good. Best practices around, you know, don't store that that video on your hard drive if you can, you know, store it somewhere on, you know, that's encrypted, that you, that your company has deleted after a certain amount of time. Make sure that you're not sharing widely in, in the company anything about that user that personally identifies them.
0: Oh, interesting. And there okay. are a lot of yeah. a
1: lot of resources out there that kind of walk through all of those different steps you might you might want to take. I would say, um, you know, a lot of companies also ask customers to sign you know, confidentiality agreements, especially if they want to show them a new prototype, something that's new to world. So mm. there, there's a really deep hole we could get into Ooh, here. It's larger mm. and more mature. Yeah, your organization <laughs> right. gets. I think on the face of it, if you're at a small startup and and you've you've got a small user base, um, at a minimum, just making sure you're asking folks if you can record and you're explaining to them how you're using that video, when you're mm. when you're when you're gonna stop using it um, assuring them that they're not going to be on YouTube or anything like that. Yeah. You know, no, no one's going to become famous just because you're looking at our, at our product with us. Right. Right. And just explaining to them why you're talking, why you want to talk to them, um, a
0: little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So if we look at, if we zoom back out, reflect yeah. on these steps so far we have, you know, you, you have some problem that this starts with inherently, uh, some, some, um, inclination to conduct research. Second, um, step here is, is hypothesize, right? What are our hypotheses might that might be causing this issue or, or thing that we need more information on? And then from the hypothesis st- step, then we go into prioritization. We look at things like risk and urgency. We look at effort to validate. Then we plan and organize. And then we also um, put together a plan of who that we want to go after and how, yeah. Um, and then when when we're in this interview process, then we start with you know why we're doing this. We ease them into the conversation. We talk about you know there, there's this uh, concern about storing um, video files, which I'd I love that little snippet there. Um, so so now that we kick this thing off, how do you? What are the kinds of questions you can ask? What are examples of the questions you can ask to kind of get at the why, um, uh, of their customer behavior that could inform, um, uh, validation or invalidation of the hypothesis that you have.
1: Yeah. And we sort of glossed over how you're going to figure out who you're talking to and and how you're going to get a hold of them, which again, great resources out there for in that example that you gave, right. We're seeing some retention issues. One of the reasons that I suggested you map out those hypotheses or those assumptions is that especially if you're doing something like uh, an interview or some sort of session with customers, you're going to ask a lot of questions that are going to help you get at the why, Mm. but they might not help you get at the how many or how often. And that's where data analytics or survey research can help you triangulate some of those answers. When I think about if I'm seeing a product that has some larger churn than we would expect given what we know historically, the kinds of questions I would be asking might might surprise someone who's never done user research themselves before. Because I, I will take a step back and try to understand what is the current state of the customer and what are all of the things that are happening around their usage of our product? Because if it was some sort of bug in the system or it was something inherent right. and obvious about our workflows, we yeah. might already have seen that from some, some other source of information, potentially. Um, right. So we can hone in on just walk us through how you use the product and we'll see where the problem is. But sometimes that means you miss the actual reason that there's there's retention issues. So researchers will often take a step back and see if we need to reframe the problem. That's one of the big values. And I, I'm realizing now, should have hit that earlier, but that's one of the big values of user research is it helps you understand what's going on around your, your customer's usage of your product. Maybe there are factors in... Their day to day work or lives or other software tools they're using, um, maybe they have a workaround today that's easier than your product. Right? You don't hmm. understand all of those things that might be impacting what you're seeing in the numbers. So would, what would of be of an example? Yeah.
0: So of one of those questions to get at that environment tool type. Of.
1: Often, often we'll kick it off with you know, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. We're
1: interested. What we we won't always start with the product and how you use the product. We'll start with whatever task or behavior that product helps you do. We want to Um, understand how you do that that task. We want to understand how you do that action or that piece of work or that thing in your life. Tell us how you, you do it today, whether that's with technology or not. Then let's get into how you're using our product. And we'll ask sort of sub questions around what's hard about how you do it today, what works well, are there other are you using other pieces of software in that process, mm. other apps. So we'll try we'll try to create more of a 360 picture of what's going on with the customer. Yeah. Because then we've got some background info when we get into okay, now share your screen, use the product how you normally would. You may may find some surprising things about where they go and don't go, things that feel obvious or are being missed. It's hard to know until you're done with that customer session, whether the problem is situated right in product, whether it's a UI or UX problem, or whether there's some real world factor that's impacting how often they're using your product. And so we try to get a little bit of all of that. So once we get a little bit of their context of how they think about the task or the behavior in general, then we'll push them into, okay, we'd love to switch gears. Let's see you get into this product. If you have a specific area of ownership, you might want to see them do a specific task, or you might have seen churn in a specific flow. Mm. You might want to point them there and say, tell us how often you use this, if at all, even if you don't use it that often, we'd love to see you go through it. And that's where you might start to see specific issues in the flow or in the UI that might also be causing some drop-off.
0: I I love that. That That's great. Some great insight there. So when we go through an individual customer interview, I think from my perspective, I have it I have a hard time kind of taking a step back and synthesizing the whole picture, yeah, right? Because yeah. that is just one person individual with this situation. It might be indicative of a pattern, but it's hard to like in that moment take a step back and synthesize the whole research and then really make a conclusion on whether or not this hypothesis is valid or not or yeah. you know worthy of uh um An opportunity, right? And so how do you, yeah, what what does that look like?
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for leading me right right into the next step. It's it's so funny because teams take the time to do research with their customers because they want actionable insights. And then they shortchange the step that actually turns your observations of your customers into what does it mean for our product? And what are my actionable insights? And so we go through this process. um, You can call it analysis. You can call it analysis and synthesis, where we're looking at the feedback we've gotten from our customers. And we're going through a couple of steps. The first step is we are putting down on... You know, a digital whiteboard or in a document or on a, you know, on Confluence, wherever you keep your documentation, we're we're putting down all of our observations, things we heard and saw in the sessions, things we didn't hear or didn't see that were surprising, um, answers to questions we've, we've asked our customers. So, In the days where many of us were in office, this is where the wall of post-its come in. This is the wall of stickies pictures uh, that you've seen all over corporate websites. This is the the, the start of the process of synthesis. And synthesis, there are tons of great activities um, that you can find on Norman Nielsen Group, from from Luma, from IDEO. There are tons of design agencies and um, blogs that, that publish different activities for synthesis but at its core synthesis is a three-step process where you're putting down your observations you are looking for themes and then you're you know grouping those observations by themes and then you're looking at each of those themes and turning it into something actionable and the way that you do that is you're writing a statement or a summary of that theme and turning it into a statement that instead of stating the, the problem you saw, which is the observation, you flip it and turn it into a statement that often starts with something like, how might we fix blank? Users need a way to do blank better. Um, you know, we, we now see there's a user requirement around blank. And so this three-step process of putting down your, your observations, grouping and theming them, and then flipping them so that they're... An action you can take or a, an area you can explore. That's the process of synthesis. And teams often skip it. They hear from a few customers, they kind of re- they, they really strongly remember a couple of things people said, and then they run with that. And they don't take a step back and look at all the data that they've collected, which you wouldn't do if you were looking at analytics or looking at a, a large piece of of you know, quantitative customer research, right? You wouldn't pick out an outlier group and be like, that's a very interesting comment. These five people said, I'm going <laughs> to run with that. Um,
0: so in lieu of sticky notes and a wall, yeah. we're all digital. Is there a tool that you would recommend to, yeah. you know, experiment with a little bit on how to bubble up these observations and themes?
1: There are a couple of great digital whiteboard programs out there. Um, Mural, Miro, some of the tools that your design team might use today, uh, including Figma, now have digital whiteboard or digital brainstorming functionality. I think there—I I don't remember—I think there's this called FigJam. Um, mm. So there are some tools out there. In in absence of something like that, it can even be Excel, uh, SmartSheet, whatever you use uh, mm. for spreadsheets, where. You start to go through your notes, you start to go through recordings and write down things you're hearing, um, write down answers you're hearing to a specific question in a column by user or Hmm. things you're hearing about a certain theme or area of the workflow by user and start to group it out that way. You can have a running document where people start to organize notes into themes. It's, It's a little faster if you can move around things on a on a screen together, but you don't have to do it that, that way. Right. When I first started mm. doing research, um, you know, many of these software tools weren't in existence yet. And so people used to have these giant Excel files that they were color coding, right? Good mm. feedback, bad feedback, ideas for new products. Uh, so there are many ways you can do it. It's just sort of how can you organize it so that you and whoever you're doing this analysis with can can see it with you and, and help you move things around. Mm. I love so, that. On the face of it, that's the most basic way to do research. There are other great tools like abstraction laddering, thinking about why something's happening or how something's happening. You can do sort of the, the classic feedback we heard that's positive, feedback we heard that's negative, and, and opportunities for improvement or ideas from the future. So this is like the user research version of, of the, the retro framework, but you're using it mm-hmm. you know, to, to organize your feedback. Um, so there, there's many tools out there that people can find, but on the face of it, taking everything you've heard and grouping it and looking where the big themes are popping out is going to give you that sense of scale. Where are more Mm -hmm. of our customers tripping over something than just remembering somebody who was really charismatic or or really extroverted when when you're doing these interviews. And the last thing I want to, I want to speak to here is that while the sample sizes you're going to see in qualitative user research are going to look really small. These things have been researched and researched and researched. Researchers love to get meta on themselves. They love to do research on their own work to make sure it's robust and it's efficient. So there are, are studies that have been out for you know, 10, 15 years at this point that show when you're doing interviews or, or usability sessions with customers, 6 to 8 or even 8 to 10 is going to get you most of the low-hanging fruit. It's going to get you most of what users can see right now based on how your product looks. Mm. And there are um, some industry groups out there. Again, Norman Nielsen Group, I would highly recommend, as well as a blog called Measuring You, just started by a guy named Jeff Sorrow. And that is more about quantitative user research and how we measure things like NPS or CSAT, when to use those different things how to look at usability scores, um, all that good stuff, they have gone and done their own studies to validate some of these methods we're talking about or some of the the techniques you might end up using. So there there is work out there to kind of validate that these approaches are gonna get you the kinds of answers you actually need and you're not just designing for five customers. So once you've done that process of synthesis, Research really, again, becomes one of those outputs you're using as a product manager to build a bigger narrative, to tell your leadership a bigger story about why you need to solve a specific problem, what the contours of the problem are, and what are the possible solutions you might go after. Um, And I'm guessing, because I'm not a product manager, that as you build that narrative, you're already honing in on what that most efficient solution might be. Love it. Because yeah, and I think you know I think you all talked about this um, you know on the last episode, but there are many solutions you can go after, and user research is really about helping you find that. I love that framing that most efficient solution, yeah. And that best solution has three parts that you as the product manager are, are really balancing, right? One is business viability, another is that that technical feasibility, and mm-hmm. the third is that user desirability, and that's and that's where customer research can, be, you know become that powerful input to help you tell that complete story. Yeah, well, and I you know, you asked about the process. Yeah. Don't for, don't forget to actually document it as yeah. as a story or as an output, share it with your team, share it with your stakeholders and document it so that you don't lose that knowledge. Right? people don't forget in 6 months, you know, maybe why you were seeing some retention issues, <laughs> why you were right. seeing some churn, yeah. right? You could go back and say well, we know it's not X, Y, and Z because six months ago, we looked into it and we, we solved those problems. So we can cross those off that, the hypotheses list now, right?
0: I like that. And then, um, you know, from a user researcher standpoint, you can now directly tie the output of your work to a value of the business, which is great. So it helps you kind of, um, you know, uh, resource, uh, pitch for resources and really, you know, prove out the ROI of the function. So I, um, it's awesome.
1: You know, if we've got time, there's one. There's one more thing I would I would tell your listeners yes, is please. that it's I see teams fall into two traps with with user research. One is they they don't do enough, and they they never go and try to use these techniques to unpack users' motivations, desires, right? Because you you already are so ri- often rich in information about what your customers are doing and how often they're doing it mm. that it can be easy to forget and not in, include why they're doing it, why they're motivated to do it, and what they would love to do more of in the future. Right? And, and We can, can kind of forget to do that. But the second trap that I see teams fall into is that they try to do too much research. And that can happen in two ways. They can get in this, this pattern where they can't make design decisions without hearing some validation directly from a customer that that's good. And again, if you've mapped your assumptions and you've thought about where you have more or less risk before a launch, if something isn't that risky, maybe it isn't the time to go out and do a big piece of user research. Maybe you know enough about your customers and what they want that you can, you can design and and move on to the next iteration or the next thing. Um, and the the other way I see teams doing, you know, almost too too much research is they get in a cycle where they they just want to talk to customers continuously. If we could just talk to one customer every Friday for the next six months, that would really solve my problems. I would have so much more data. And and I often caution against this, not because I I think doing research is is bad. I'm, I'm very passionate about it, and I've you know I've built my career on it. But I think that can get us into a loop where we. End up blowing up our roadmaps based on very small mm. sets of data that we're hearing from customers. You have a customer, one customer who maybe is an outlier, and we get really excited about them because we can see their pain points, we want to empathize with them. Or you know because you're you're talking to customers constantly, you haven't thought through what your most important questions to answer are, and that goes back to the conversation that you were having earlier about. Is it, is it worth it for the business to address this problem right now? And if you're constantly just open-endedly talking to customers, hearing what grinds their gears, you're in danger of solving small problems
0: yeah, that maybe aren't as business
1: point. impactful mm-hmm. as, as solving the big problems. So I would so say... It has to
0: be kind of rooted in that strategic those strategic pillars that you're getting. Yeah.
1: At research can business, be really powerful. But again, use it strategically as right, an input yeah, in your process yeah. and not you know, as the only thing you're doing and use it just to
0: reiterate there or or question that a little bit, they, the continuous nature of it is not necessarily bad, but if it's continuous without Without strategic direction, then yeah. With that purpose or intent. Yeah. I like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I I would argue you should be doing continuous research, but the techniques you're using for research should be matched to where your team is in the process.
0: Yeah. I like that. Okay. Well, man, we can go on for, (laughs) I love this. We should, we should talk more. Um, yeah. Um, that being said, if you have questions for Nikki, um, you can now actually send us a voice message through our podcast. So give that a shot and, uh, you know, we'll relay the message and, and maybe Nikki will get back to you. Maybe, maybe not, um, yeah, I'd be but, happy uh, to. yeah, we can maybe address it on another podcast. That'd be Yeah. Um, I'd,
1: I'd love to come back and talk more because we, we really just, yeah. we just kind of did the greatest hits today, right? Like at its most it. basic, what can you yes. do? But we can get deep. We can see what questions your listeners have. And um, yeah, we can talk more again, you know, we kind of glossed over it, but if if you're in a real position where you're trying to pitch the value of this to your leadership team, I would say, go through the process we just described with your own yeah. area of ownership, a, a challenge value, you're right. having, show the value, yeah. show the impact, right? You can't introduce a new function into the team if you can't show the value of it. And, you know, often if, it, if you're just starting out or your company is early in a, in its life cycle, um, you wear many hats. And so it can be hard to show the value of having a a specialist on board to do some of this. So I would say start to build that sense of value, that sense of impact, go do some of this stuff yourself. Um, You know, do, you know, do go do some digging on some of the resources that are out there and, and we can, we can talk about some of those in the future, but. um, (laughs) Don't be afraid to try and, and see it as another kind of powerful resource that you've got in, in your war chest of things as a, or tool chest of things as a, as a product manager. So.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nikki, for coming on the show. Um, like I said, if you have questions for Nikki, we, you want to go deeper on one of these items, um, something we didn't talk about, um, you can you can go ahead and in the description of this show, you can click a link and, and record a voice message for us, and we'll play it on the air. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Uh, looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee
1: on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.